I don't know if you noticed, but last night there was a football game. <laughs> right, Charlie? <laughs> My friend Charlie was reading a book. He thought the game was today. So I told him next week he needs to read a book again because it went pretty well. Probably my favorite play of the whole game, if you saw it, was at the end of the first half, there was an interception by Tremont Williams. And uh, he's just an outstanding talent. A, a couple of weeks ago, about a month and a half ago, and I've told some of you this story, but Tremont was, was in the midst of a contract negotiation in which he was wanting to extend his contract. And there's this awesome time when Larry McCarron, one of the newscasters here in town, is interviewing Tremont. And uh, he, he's asking Tremont how he feels about this. Because being in the midst of a contract negotiation is really tricky because Tremont had a one-year deal in which he was going to get paid for this year, um, was guaranteed no money for the future, and he was holding out for, for a future contract extension so that he would get more money. And so he's in this limbo land where if he gets injured, they're going to not offer him anything, and then he won't have any money after this year. And so Larry McCarron comes to him, and he goes, aren't you scared, like in the midst of this contract negotiation, aren't you scared that you're going to get hurt, and then you're not going to get any money at all? And Tremont turns to Larry and says, man, I've been playing for free my whole life. He was completely fine with it. But he did get a contract extension because he is really an amazing player. Um, his own cornerbacks coach, I didn't even realize they had a cornerback coach, but his own cornerback coach said of him that he was the best coverage cornerback on the team. Even with Charles Woodson, a MVP from last year, he's the best coverage cornerback. And then he even said he's probably even the best coverage cornerback in the whole NFL. And so he has earned this money that he's going to be getting. And, you know, I sit and I look and I think, what is he going to do with all this money? I mean, now he's going, his, his salary jumped this year for just this year from $3 million to $14 million. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, what would I do with that kind of stuff, you know? Well, today we're going to continue to look at this awesome contract that we have with God. This contract in which he guarantees to pour out blessings on all who trust in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing because as you look at the book of Ephesians, the way that it's set up is Paul spends the first two, three chapters pointing out how blessed we are in Jesus Christ. And then he spends the rest of it kind of saying, what are you going to do with this wealth? Because you have been free to live a new and different life. And so if you would, uh, turn in your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I will grab a Bible myself here. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to continue reading verses 1 through 14. Does anyone have the page number in the red Bible? 976. Close. All right. (laughs) All right, feeling a little punchy this morning. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace. 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God, as we mine the riches of this text that is so thick with the blessings that you have given to us, God, I pray that we would be overjoyed that we would be changed, that we would leave this place more fully redeemed, more fully knowledgeable of all the ways that you have loved us, and that we would live in a way that would reflect the riches that we have in Christ. Pray this morning you would help us in understanding these things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week we pointed out that in this passage, verse 3 through 14, even in the English it's two paragraphs, but in the Greek it's just one long sentence. One long sentence where Paul is exploding with joy, exploding with thanksgiving, and he's giving thanks because the Trinitarian God has poured out the riches of his love upon him. Just very briefly, let me show you how he talks about these riches. Verse 3, he says, The Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 8 and 9, In Christ we have the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Verse 11, it says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. And in verse 14, it says, The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of this inheritance. And so we are filthy rich. We are extraordinarily blessed in Jesus Christ. We have the love of this Trinitarian God poured out upon all who trust in Jesus. And through this passage, we see the work of the Trinitarian God, of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit applying this to us, accomplishing this, even willing it in our lives. Last week, we talked about how the Father predestines the riches of God's love. 
We also see in this passage that the Son achieves the riches of God's love and that the Holy Spirit applies these riches of God's love to our life. Just to give you a brief summary of last week, which uh, if you haven't heard the sermon, maybe it'd be good to go back and listen to it because this is a, a tough and heavy subject to wade through. But we talked about how God has predestined riches of his love for us that he has decided to pour out grace upon us because in our own free will, we have all decided to run away from God. And he has said, I do not care. I am going to pursue you. I am going to love you and I am going to bless you. And he does that towards us in his forever love before the foundation of the world. He has decided to lavish his love upon us. Today, we, work, we, we move to the work of his son, Jesus, in achieving the riches of God's love for us. As we look at this, we're going to look at two parts. The first is the route And secondly is the riches. So we're going to look at what some of those riches are. But first, let's look at the route, the path that we receive the riches from God. And what we see through this passage is that it comes to us via union with Christ. Now, union with Christ is a awesome and amazing truth of Christianity that is often minimized and not talk about very much because it kind of underlies all of the scriptures, especially in Paul's letter. It's a mystery in which we are joined with Jesus Christ spiritually into one body. And so we become one with him. The Bible illustrates this many, many times. I'll just give you a few. Uh, One time Jesus says in John 15, five, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever is united to me, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus says, we are like vines and branches. We are grafted together. We are united to one another. 1 Corinthians 12 puts it this way. It says, we are one body with many parts and Christ is the head. And so we are united to Jesus as a body is united together, but we're also united to one another as different members of that body. And then uh, I heard a preacher preaching on this once and he put it this way. He said, union with Christ is kind of like when you get coffee and you take creamer and you pour it in and you stir it up and the two become one. And the reason why this is so amazing, the reason why this is so foundational is that when we are in Christ, when we are united to Christ, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. When we are united to Christ, everything that is true of Jesus is true of you. In this passage, Ephesians 1, 1 through 14, Paul actually refers to our union with Christ by talking about in Christ or in him, in these 14 verses, nine times. Nine times in just 14 verses. Because it is so foundational to who we are before God, is our union with Christ. It is the foundation for our salvation. It is the foundation for our Christianity. It is the foundation for every blessing that we have. There's a story, and I think I may have shared it before, There's a story of a man who was just extraordinarily wealthy, and he loved art. And so he had paintings from Picasso and Rembrandt, and he had one son, and he and his son would often 
sit and admire the artwork and talk about it. It was something that was of great pleasure to him. Well, his son went off to Vietnam War and he died in battle. And the man grew and finally passed away. When he had passed away, there was this auction for his art. And people were just ecstatic to come. Um, I skipped the part. Uh, before, before he passed away, uh, a man came to his house and gave him a gift. And the gift that he gave to him was a painting of his son. A painting that uh, this man painted because his son had died to save this man's life, the artist's life. And so he painted this picture of his son, gave it to the man, and the man put it up, and it was his most cherished painting. Okay? Now we go on. The man passes away. There's this art auction. And all these people come, and they're so excited about the Picassos and the Rembrandts and so on and so forth. And so the auction starts, and they start with the picture of his son. And they start auctioning it off. They start at $100. Nobody bids. They start going down slowly, $95, $90. Down and down it goes, and people are getting frustrated. They're getting angry. They're saying, move on to the good stuff. Move on to the good paintings, please. Finally, the painting comes all the way down to $10, and his gardener bids on it. $10, going once, going twice, sold. The gardener got the painting of his son. The auctioneer sets down the gavel and says, the auction is over. People are furious. He says, in the will of this man, there was a stipulation that whoever bought the painting of the son would get all of the paintings. And so what we see is that through the son, whoever has the son gets all the riches, gets all the blessings. This is a picture of what we see here, that through our union with Jesus Christ, we get all of the riches. Not just Jesus, but everything that comes with it. Because when we are united to Christ, what is true of him is true of us. And so what we're going to do now, and um, this is actually spectacular, is I get the opportunity to tell you how rich you are if you are in Jesus Christ. If you look in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ, that's the union with Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with how many? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we have tremendous blessings, tremendous riches, because we are united to Christ. And here's the thing. Every Christian is united to Jesus Christ. This isn't halfway or partially all of us who trust in Christ have all the riches of Christ. So I'm going to go through here, and um, I hope this doesn't seem like a list, but there's actually 11 riches that God throws out here for us. And there's far more in Scripture, but what we're doing is we're just opening the presence, right? We're opening all the things that you have because of your union with Jesus Christ. So let's start. Verse 1, he says that we are saints. You know, this is an interesting phrase that's used quite a bit today in different circles. Uh, In the Catholic circle, they will deem someone a saint. And the way that that happens is a person will live an amazing life, be extremely generous and loving. They have to work a miracle. And then once they die, someone will bring uh, this person or this person's memory to a committee and say, we need to make this person a saint. 
And so there will be this debate, and then after this debate, this committee will decide, is this person a saint, is this person not a saint, and then you can pray to him, you cannot pray to him. It's this huge ordeal, okay? Uh, in the world, we'll say things like, boy, that person's really a saint, right? And what we mean is that they're really good, they're really generous, they're really loving, But when we read here in Ephesians and other passages in the Bible, saints are all who are united to Jesus Christ. Saints applies to all Christians. That everyone who is a Christian is a saint. Everyone who is a saint is a Christian. That's really an amazing thing that through our union with Christ, we are literally, what it means, is set apart. We are set apart from the things of this world and we are set apart for God, for his use for his holiness, for his love, for his blessing. And so we are saints in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we see we are faithful. It says to those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. We're declared declared faithful before God, not because of our faithfulness, but because of Christ's faithfulness when we are unfaithful. And so God sees you forensically, judicially as faithful. And he acts accordingly. And so what this means is that even on our worst days, even when we are utter failures, God can say, you're faithful because Christ has been faithful on your behalf. Now, there is a fuller meaning to this as well, that we are called as people who love God to not only be declared faithful, but to grow in faithfulness towards worshiping him and serving him. But we are faithful Third, we see that through our union with Christ, we get grace, which is the unmerited favor of God. His loving kindness poured out upon us. And so we no longer get his wrath, but we get the riches of his blessings. We get peace. We're no longer enemies with God, but we are friends. And we are more than friends. We're actually children, as we will see. We, have, we are holy and blameless before God. In verse 4, it puts it this way. Even as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And it says, why? That we should be holy and blameless before God. And so it says, God has poured out his riches and grace upon you, not because you were holy and blameless, but to make you holy and blameless before God, having Christ's righteousness applied to us. Six, we see we are adopted as children. God uses this illustration throughout Scripture again and again and again to tell us how much He loves us, how committed He is to us, that He has adopted us, and that we are not just servants, we are not just slaves, we're His child. I think of how much I love my children. We were gone for one night, me and some of the leaders here for a retreat. And coming back on Saturday afternoon, opening the door, waiting to go and give my kids hugs and kisses and wrestle with them and eat their belly buttons and all those things that dads are supposed to do. And God loves us infinitely more than that. And so we are God's children, one of the blessings, the riches that we have in Christ. Romans 8.15 puts it this way, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In our community group, we have one guy, when we do our prayer time, he just says, hey, Dad. That's how he starts his prayers. Hey, Dad. 
We are children of the living God. Uh, Seven, we are blessed. Verse six, it says, he has blessed us in the beloved, which is in Christ. We are blessed. This is one of the riches that we have in Christ. And this is actually a peculiar and wonderful word in the Greek. It's translated in the ESV, which we use as blessed. And the King James Version is translated as accepted. People really don't know how to translate this word. In the NIV, it's just completely untranslated. (laughs) And so the essence of the word means this, that God has pursued you with grace and he has made you lovely. That God has pursued you with grace and he has made you lovely. That's what this blessed means. It's amazing. Eighth, we have redemption. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption is that we have actually been purchased from the slavery of sin. We have been purchased from the penalty of sin so that we can be freed to love and serve God. 1 Peter 1, 18 19 puts it this way, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways and inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And so what we learn is that we are all separated from God by our sin. We are all born into this slavery in which we were a slave to sin and we are a slave to death. You might think, I'm not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to death. Very good. Then don't sin and don't die. All of us do it because we're slaves to it. But Christ frees us from the power of sin. He frees us from the penalty of sin by dying on the cross for us that we might inherit the riches of God in him. We also see that we have the forgiveness of sins in verse 7 that the slate is wiped clean. Your list of sins is thrown away. That is far as the east is from the west. That is on the ocean floor. We have understanding Verse 9 says, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, that there were these hidden treasures of God's salvation that he revealed to us to let us know how we would trust in Christ. How would we know God? How would we get these blessings? How we would be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 14, 26 puts it this way, that the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so even the things that we know, even the things we understand about God are a gift from him through our union with Christ. Finally, faith. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, and so everything that follows is in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so what it's telling us is that even the fact that we would believe in God is because God has started a work in our hearts, that he has united us to Christ, and he has developed a longing for him, to know him, to love him, to be loved by him. And so these are all the blessings. These are all the riches you have in Jesus Christ. And that's just what's in the first 14 verses here. The Bible is far bigger than that. And all of these are yours in Christ. I, um, when I was 
growing up, we had this amazing fair in downtown St. Louis during the 4th of July. It was called the VP Fair, the Veiled Prophet Fair. Now it's called Fair St. Louis. Um, but they would have these amazing air shows, these amazing fireworks, um, and they'd have all these booths set up where you could buy food. And as you can imagine, like any fair, the food was just astronomically high. It was like $8 for a corn dog. Because they had a monopoly, you couldn't go anywhere. Well, we tried to buck the system. Um, on the river in St. Louis, there is this boat called the Admiral. And it's actually been turned into a casino. And my mom had these tickets to get free buffets at the casino. And so she said, hey, let's go eat a buffet on the casino. You know, we don't have to pay a lot of money, and we'll get tons of food. And so I thought, hey, that's a great idea. Well, as we're approaching the boat, we see a sign that says you must be 21. And at this time, I'm 19. And so my mom looks at me, and she goes, you have a fake ID, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, why, why would you say that, mom? She's like, don't you? And, uh, why? Yes. Why? (laughs) So, um, so she's like, well, use your fake ID and we can get in and get this free food. And so the story gets worse. Um, and so it's me, my mom and my sister and my sister gets this idea. Hey, let's just link arms and we'll pretend like we're married. Yeah, it's weird. All right. So we're going up there thinking, hey, this will make you look older. Give the guy the ID. I mean, the only thing me and this guy had in common was that we were Caucasian. Other than that, we looked nothing alike. And so the guy takes the ID, and he's just laughing at me. He's like, seriously? You expect me to believe this? And so he confiscates the ID, and we go away hungry and poor. So, But the reason why I had that ID was to try to gain that man's identity, to try to get the privileges that were owed to him and not to me, to gain entrance to areas that I didn't have any right to go to. And what we learn is through our union with Christ, we are not only stealing someone's identity, our identity has changed. When God looks at you, he sees Christ, and you get all of the blessings that are given to him. We are called co-heirs with Christ. And all the riches are yours in Christ. All the blessings, all the wonders. Let's move on. So the son accomplishes the riches of God's love, but the Holy Spirit applies the riches of God's love. Look in verse 13 with me. In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Again, this is for everyone who is in Christ. The Holy Spirit is a seal. What a peculiar phrase. Uh, In that time, a seal would have been something kind of like wax, And it would have been used to to seal things, to preserve things, but also to authenticate things. They would put a seal down and they take their signet ring and stamp it and say, this comes from the king or from whoever it is. And so for them, what a seal was, and we see this throughout scripture, but a seal both preserves and it authenticates. A seal preserves, meaning that what he is saying here is that the Holy Spirit keeps you that you cannot lose your salvation, that once God has purchased you, once he has ransomed you, nobody can purchase you away. That you are always and forever his. 
You know, we have these mason jars in our house, and we actually never use them for mason jars. We just use them to drink out of because we think they're cool. But with mason jars, you take them and you fill them with fruits and vegetables and whatever, and then you put the lid on and you put the cap on, and then you have to boil them. And when you boil them, it creates this seal that preserves what's inside. And that's a picture of what God's saying here is that the Holy Spirit seals you, preserving you. Sometimes this is called the uh, perseverance of the saints, that the saints persevere to the very end. But really, it's the perseverance of God. It's the perseverance of the Holy Spirit who saves us and keeps us. And it's spoken throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about anyone who is in my palm will not be lost. Philippians 1, six puts it this way. And I am sure of this, that he, he, not you, not me, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so a seal preserves us. A seal also authenticates us. Think of it. You take out a U.S. dollar bill or 20 or 100, if you've ever seen one. Maybe there's more. I don't know. But on there is a seal, right? Usually a dead president, um, a building in Washington. Sometimes they have funky, like, uh, things that turn purple and green and whatever, right? They have all these seals on there, and it authenticates that it is backed up by the U.S. government, that it is indeed from the U.S. government. It authenticates it. That's the purpose of the seal. God says the Holy Spirit authenticates your salvation, that it can give you great encouragement, that as the Holy Spirit works in you, as you begin to love God more, as you begin to live more faithfully, more righteously before God, you are authenticated by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a seal. We also see that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. And this kind of flips everything on its side. Verse 14, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The guaranteed mentioned here is, is actually different than preserving. The guaranteed mentioned here is a down payment of the riches that are yet to come. And so here's what this means. You remember those 11 things we ran through? All those riches that you have in Jesus Christ? What verse 14 is saying is that's just the deposit. That's just the beginning. That's just the earnest money. Like when we get to heaven, all those things will be realized more fully. That we will have a peace that never fades. That we will not only be holy and blameless in the way God sees us, that our actions will actually be holy and blameless. That all those things will come to a full reality. You know, when we bought this house up here in Green Bay, we had to put down earnest money. And it was just a deposit of the riches to come, of the fact that we get to move into the house, not just look at it from the outside, that we'd enjoy the sunroom and the fireplace and the backyard and the garden. God is saying there is so much riches yet to come that what you have now is glorious and wonderful and awesome, but it's just a deposit. And so the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that there are greater riches to come from God. As we look and we think about how God has poured out the riches of his love to us through himself, through the Father, through the Son, through the Holy Spirit, something that Paul makes certain to point out here 
is why. Why did God do this to you? Why did God bless you so richly? And we see in a couple of verses here, if you have your Bible open, kind of follow along with me. Verse 3, it says the reasons why God has blessed us. Verse 3, blessed, meaning praise, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 10, as a plan of fullness of time come to unite all things in him. So in other words, that Christ would reign victorious, that he would receive the glory and the praise. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Why? To the praise of his glory. And so the reason why God pours out his riches and his grace and his love upon you is not primarily about you. It's primarily that he would get the glory, that he would get the blessing of showing the majesty of his salvation, of lavishing upon you riches and grace. This is radical for Americans. There was a man named Galileo. You probably know where I'm going with this. Everybody thought that everything revolved around the earth, that the earth was the center of the universe. And then Galileo had this audacious claim that the sun was actually the center of our universe and that everything rotated around the sun. He was told to recant of it. And when he continued to teach it, he was put under house arrest for the rest of his life. But what we saw, what we learned was that he was right, that the world, the universe did not revolve around us, but we revolved around the sun. You see, all of our life is about the glory of God. It's not primarily about our enjoyment, although God helps us do that as we see it as a gift from him. It's not primarily that God loves us, which he does deeply and immensely, but it's primarily about God's glory. And so we gather here this morning for God's glory to worship him. You go to church, I'm sorry, you go to work for God's glory. You go and love your family for God's glory. You play, you're entertained for God's glory. It all points back to him. Doesn't that change everything in your life if that's true? Doesn't that change everything in your life if even your marriage is about God and His glory? The Trinitarian God has poured out onto us the riches of His love. The Father has predestined those riches of His love for you. He is working in our heart. The Son achieves the riches and the Holy Spirit applies the riches of God's love to our heart. For the praise and the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we, um, we do indeed praise you and thank you. And we are so glad that you are glorified by saving people like us. God, I pray that we would have an understanding of how rich we are in Christ, Lord. I think many times it's not that we want too much, it's that we want too little. 
and we don't understand all the blessings we have in you, God. Lord, I pray that for me and for those in here, you would do this radical thing and help us put you at the center of our life. That everything would revolve to glorify you instead of to glorify us, God. Help us do this difficult but awesome and amazing and wonderful task of bringing glory to the amazing, loving, merciful God of the universe. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.